Welcome to the Boundless Gamers podcast, everyone. We have a new formula going forward. Uh, these shows will now be coming at you bi-weekly, so every other week, you will now be getting a new podcast episode with a new formula. Those of you that listened to our last show know that it was kind of a Star Wars-themed episode, so going forward, that's how things are going to go. My name is Indy, and with me this week is somebody who is returning. Go ahead and say hello, good sir. I, I come back and you guys like totally rearrange the house. Well, what the yes. fuck? What the fuck is this? <laughs> well, we had a party. We had to cover some stains that you won't see until we move. Yeah, sorry about so, that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jacques back, everybody, and um, he's back on a very special occasion. Because he and I are going to get to talk about my personal favorite game of all time. Um, and it's a game that Jacques and Mike both have recently gotten to play from beginning to end. And of course, we are talking about Bloodborne. Um, Jacques, first off, it's really good to have you back, man. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Um, Let's see, as far as Bloodborne goes, man... Um. I don't even know where to begin with this game. I know. There's so many good things about it. Yeah, it's, it really is tough to figure out where to start. I, I was trying to figure out before the podcast, and I'm just like, man, it, it, there's so much to say. <laughs> so I guess what we'll talk about first is kind of what sets it aside from other games that I know we have played. Um, for me, what really got me interested in Bloodborne was honestly that very first trailer. Um, seeing the gothic architecture this kind of Helsing vibe of going after beasts and then the, the mysticism behind it. And it's kind of a tone that really rings true for the entire game. Um, it's really a game that you start playing. And as long as you aren't too discouraged by the skill level or the difficulty right at first, there's so much lore to discover and it really just kind of draws you in. Or at least that's how I felt. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, you know, I definitely was a little bit intimidated by FromSoft games, and I'm not really sure what made me want to start playing Bloodborne, because I had tried it once before, and I pretty much gave up where most people give up, you know, when you're in uh, Yarnum and there's like that long stretch where you have like all those enemies and they're yeah. burning the wolf, and I was like, man, I just... I don't know. This is rough. I just don't get it. But I, I decided to take another stab at it. Um, the, the Bloodborne in particular, out of all the FromSoft games, was attractive to me because I already am a huge horror fan. So those those like gothic, you know, Lovecraftian horror elements really drew me in. Yeah. Um. So I, I decided to give it, give it another try, and you know, some some of you out there have watched me play it on stream, and but what really um, got it to stick in my brain for me is actually you. So it's kind of great that we're doing this together. Um, you helped yeah, guide me through the opening area on stream, and that, that I can't tell you like how helpful that was. Uh, it's it you really um explained everything well, and you got me to like cleric beast, and I, I don't know, it just clicked. It started to click after that, and uh. Because the thing is, I think most people give up because they don't realize that you have to 
get to Cleric Beast first and beat him and get that lamp before you can go back yeah. and start leveling. So um, it definitely makes it easier. Yeah, yeah. Now I think that's right. Uh, correct. Like you can't start leveling until you beat Cleric Beast. You can. Um, really, what it is is you'll hit a certain point. I think it's just you have to find another lamp, um, or eventually the game just lets you start leveling. Um, you can actually go the entire game without ever facing the Cleric Beast, honestly. You never have to go down there. Yeah, and I didn't know that at first. Like, And I, later on, obviously, I learned the difference between the optional bosses and the mandatory bosses. Right. Especially when you're first coming in, because when I remember my first playthrough... There were so many bosses that, like, every boss I came across, I mean, I think, was it my first? No, Dark Souls was my first FromSoft. Um, but Bloodborne in particular, with the way it's laid out, um, the, I was thinking about the map today. When you get towards, like, endgame Bloodborne, you realize that everything is basically in a lap. So it's a circle. You start in Yarnum. And then eventually you make your way down to the Forbidden Woods. And then there's a shortcut from there that will take you back to Central Yarnum. And every branching off part from there can take you to optional bosses or bosses you have to beat or even completely optional areas. Um, so when you're going through it the first time, especially if you've never played a FromSoft game before, you have no idea what bosses you have to beat, which ones you don't, because only certain bosses will move the timeline along. Um, Blood Starved Beast and, um, Vacuous Rom, I believe, are the two that mainly move the night along, because things go dark after you beat Blood Starve, and then Rom is when the... Uh, Blood Moon comes out, and then shit just gets crazy from there. I think after you beat Vicar Amelia, and like you inspect Lawrence's right. skull, Amelia was another one. Yeah, that's the one where it can move it along too. At least for me, that's where the first cycle moved along. Yeah, I think it's once you beat Amelia. Um, the I forget what they're called, like the Hunter Giants inside um, the Cathedral Ward. They kind of go into a dormant state unless you attack them or just hang out too close to them for too long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so many stages to it. You can never really know what boss does what until you've either played it a couple times or you really you are just paying attention to what happens when certain things go or you get an idea as to what boss may be important, which one's not. That's one of the things I found so fascinating about Bloodborne and really all from soft games is just the the exploration because like a lot of games have exploration but not like Bloodborne and and from soft no um because they 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 don't explain everything uh it's not overt um it, now they definitely have explanations you just have to read items you have to you have to kind of extrapolate a little yourself because they don't right. they don't hand feed you the story which I like um. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I previously, uh, when I've been on here recently, before my break, I was talking about how much I was sick of open world games. So yeah. playing this was like a breath of fresh air because it's, it's linearity is just, that is a plus for me. And it's like, yeah. sure, there's definitely secret paths and areas you can explore, but it's, it's pretty linear for the most part. It is definitely. 
it's not too overwhelming. Like I thought it would be, but it's not at all. Uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about that? So like you're saying with it being very linear, it definitely is. I think what kind of draws it back from being considered a true open world game is that there's no like rolling fields or like big open cities where there's like so many routes you can take to get to one area. There's usually like maybe two to four ways you can get to a particular area from central Yarnum. Um, so in a way it's open world, but think of it as like an open world labyrinth because there's so many different ways to get someplace, but that's only if you know the path to get there. It's not just, okay, uh, this area is east, so I'm going to go east. No, you have to know you're going to go down this alleyway, there you can roll through these barrels, which actually drops off this ledge, and then you've got a shortcut that can get you there faster, or you can just go the main route, but you're going to have to face a lot of enemies to get there. Um, And that's why when you told me you were thinking about doing it on stream, I was like, I have to be there because... I wanted to make sure you got over that initial hump of getting past like that grinding road, um, which like you were saying is kind of that hill that once you get over it as a brand new player and you kind of get into, um, I'll, I'll just say once you get to gas coin and you get to cathedral ward, if you make it there, typically that's when you're kind of like, okay, I want to know more about this. But if you never make it there and you haven't gone down the sewers and realize there's all these different layers to these different locations, it's, it's not, you're not going to appreciate what the game has to offer. Yeah. And I love the recursive level design. Like once I kind of figured out that every little area is centered around a boss and there's a shortcut and you, you'll so whenever you can't open a door or a gate it's like oh, okay well that's going to be the end of this this circle that's your way out so now i need to go forward and find out how to loop around to get back to that and then that usually opens up so you can just head straight to the boss like pretty quickly like the boss run once you open up the shortcuts so i just i love that type of level design um, so like, you know, and I've watched a ton of people play from, from soft games. I've seen pretty much everyone mm-hmm. all the way through and I, I was always afraid to kind of try them myself, but now that I've beaten Bloodborne and yes, I have beaten Bloodborne, hold, hold your applause. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm going for the platinum right now. Um, and you know, some people saw us play the, uh, chalice dungeons on stream, um, until I ran out of resources and then we couldn't do that anymore because <laughs> I am on new game plus. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to go through again because I didn't use the cheat like Mike to get the, all the endings in one shot. Uh, I mean, that's just my fault. I would have done it. It's not like I'm opposed to it, but I just am stupid and didn't think about it. I, I wouldn't rob that of you though. I mean, yeah, you can do a cheat and you can get the platinum for the main game, but um, I mean, we've discussed on the podcast before, like, is it considered cheap for a game to make you play it multiple times to get a platinum? Um, and we kind of came to the consensus that, yes, it is cheap. But for me, Bloodborne is also another one of those games that where it's like, you can play it the first time, go beat it, great. But there is something different about going back through it on New Game Plus with your weapon fully loaded up and just ready to go wreck house. But with that buff that all the enemies get, 
it's almost like, okay, I beat it. Now let's actually go try and beat it again. Um, and what I mean by that is you have a better understanding of the mechanics of the game from the get go. So it changes the way you play the game entirely going back through those first episodes, or not what I say first episodes, but those first areas. At least that's how it felt for me. Um, I don't know if that's how it felt for you when you went back into it. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's how you felt because you beat it and then went right back into it from what I can tell. Yeah, no, I totally did. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I almost feel like FromSoft is selling themselves short with having those three different trophies tied to the three different endings. Because I would think that they did that because they want you to keep playing through the game multiple times, right? But I don't feel like they need a trophy to get you to do that because I already wanted to immediately jump back in and play again. Like the yeah, exactly. the game is so good, it really stands on its own. Um, and like you said, there's you know definitely playing through it again and going back is like a different experience. I can't wait to see how you and Mike handle the old hunters DLC. Um, the fact that you're going back through it on New Game Plus, um, I will tell you, I've done what you're doing with your current character before, where it's completely like max it out to where it's just like ridiculous how high leveled you are. And then I went back through the old hunters DLC with a character that I never beat the game with. I just, I had all those levels and it was when I was doing my platinum run. Um, and it was hard, but it wasn't unbeatable. But now I'm going back through old hunters DLC to get the platinum, um, with a new game character. Uh, this is the same character that I was playing with you last night. Uh, or not last night, but um, Friday night. And I got to tell you, man, that's a different experience is the best way I can tell you. Um, and I know Mike, when he was texting me, like when he was going through, he was like, hey, I beat this boss. I beat this boss. This one was harder, but I did it. I used this. And I'm like, man, he's he's really going through these. Like he's not, it doesn't seem like he's struggling. And then he said he got the platinum, and I don't remember if he said he plans to go through the DLC, but man, I <laughs> I'm I want to hear him go through it, because if Mike sends me similar text messages, or I pray I'm there when he does it, that he beat this boss, it wasn't too hard, I, I don't even know what to think at that point. Like, Mike's on a different level than I am, because man, I got fucking humbled going through that DLC. <laughs> well, it is notoriously hard. It's like the hardest shit in Bloodborne, from what I hear. Yeah. That's to say the least. Like, uh, Lady Maria, she seems like a real bitch to, uh, fight, uh, Ludwig. Orphan of Cost, obviously, is, like, the oh, hardest boss Christ. in the game, I think. Cost is, I you know, his, his moves can be so sporadic, um, especially on his second and last phase, that as long as you're not trying to cheese him... He's really hard to read. If if you're used to dodging a boss a certain way, or you have a certain mentality of playing that isn't dodge in on every attack, you're gonna unlearn a lot of the ways that you played. Like I'm I'm a decent Bloodborne player. I've I've played the game three times. Well, I've, I've beaten it three times, and I've played with various friends on it. Just kind of, I have a character that's strictly for playing with friends, and it's the one that I'm doing the old hunters DLC with. But Koss, well, you've seen me fight Koss. I, I don't even need to explain it. That that motherfucker 
I still haven't beat him to this day. He's standing in my way of my old Hunter's DLC Platinum. Oh, you'll beat him eventually. But yeah, I was watching you that one night on stream and you were just like, you're like, you thought you were going to be try to beat him before bed. And I don't know how many, like two hours later, I don't know, but you were just like insane by the end. Yeah, pretty much. I was just loopy as fuck. And my goal was like, I I told myself I was not going to allow myself to play Elden Ring until Koss was dead. Well, guess what? I've got 70 hours in the Elden Ring between two different systems. Koss is still alive. I, I, and I don't even want to go back and fight that motherfucker. Well, and at that point, too, <laughs> it like starts to get in your head. Because yeah. I know, like, for me, um, and we'll talk about at some point, like, what our favorite bosses, hardest bosses, all that stuff. But yeah, there's definitely bosses where it's like, it starts to get in your head the more successive tries that you're just getting humbled over and over. Yep. And nothing's worse than that boss that you know you've gotten to within two or three strikes of finishing them, and you start to feel it, like your heart starts pumping, the adrenaline literally starts pumping through your systems, you're like, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up. And then you make that one fatal flaw where time slows down, and you see the attack coming because you know you dodged the wrong way, and it's just like, all of that hard work from that run, you're watching it slip through your fingers, and you just die, and then that fucking screen pops up saying, you died, and you're like, I I could have done it. I should have done it, it, but it's not done. And then your next 10 attempts don't even come close to what you just did. Yep, no, exactly. They Literally, that exact shit happened to me multiple times. Because you do get in your head and it's like, it becomes a race. Like, can I beat this boss before I (laughs) self-sabotage? I mean, we were kind of doing that on stream on Friday night because we were trying to fight um, the Shadows of Yarnum, And we knew we only had like two beast blood pellets each. And then stream kept turning my controller off. And we knew like we we have till midnight and we had 15 minutes left when we had made that decision. And then what we did it with three minutes to spare. That that was fun. That was like, um, oh, it was a blast. It's a, and it's a different experience playing the co-op. Yeah, I, in some ways, it's like it 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 it's a little bit more comforting because it's like, hey, I got someone to lean on. But it also makes the bosses a little harder too. It really does. I mean, for I would say for the shadows of Yarnum, it. In a way, it makes it easier because what's difficult about FromSoft games and when you add in co-op is that I'm not sure if it's that if they nerf you or if they buff the bosses. I think the actual explanation is that they buff the bosses. But for something like the Shadows of Yarnum, you can split them because, I mean, it's three different enemies. And if you go in there solo, you have to fight all three at the same time. Whereas with you and I, the one that sends off three different fireballs, which constantly keeps you dodging and not attacking, I was able to split off, keep him busy while you just kind of focused on the other two until he was dead. And we were able to kind of divide and conquer in a way. But if you and I were to go in and go face something like um, Murgo's Wet Nurse or the Blood Starved Beast, then shit gets a little bit harder because if your partner falls... You just kind of walked into hard mode because now you have a buff boss that you're fighting by yourself. Yeah, and that definitely happened to both of us. <laughs> like there was times where we walked in and either you or me like died immediately. 
just whatever happened, like we just took a stray fireball to the face or just something, and then the other person's just left alone. Yeah, and we were on New Game Plus too, so it's like even harder. I, I So I wanted to play the game solo, like the whole game, not including the DLC, which I will eventually get to that, but I wanted to play it solo just for the fact that like I wanted the first experience from beginning to end to just be me. To really like test my metal, I guess you know, it was kind of a pride thing, I suppose. But um, right, because you definitely offered multiple times, like I'll help you, and I'm like, no, I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was always a case of like I I knew where you were, and I knew how difficult it was for me my first time. So I definitely got the pride thing, but I always wanted to be like, just so you know, I am a resource that is available to you. Just you let me know. <laughs> But no, so I definitely did use a lot of NPC summons to help me, though. Uh, I, I was not like, you know, there was no pride there. Um, now, now, usually I would approach a boss the first few times I would do it solo. And if I was really having trouble with the boss, I would summon an NPC to help me. And more times right. than not, it, it made it easier for me because the, the sole focus was off of me. And yeah. I could just kind of like run around behind the boss and just take big hits because I was running with the the axe and um, I really liked using that in transform mode because it has a long reach and it's it's charged attacks are like ridiculously powerful. I, I know that's considered like a noob we weapon, but like, I mean, I was a noob, so. You know, here's the problem with people saying it's a noob weapon is that, and, and you are also painfully aware of this. There's two different types of FromSoft fans. There is the type that's like, you know, hey, cool, you're you're trying out this new game. Uh, it's hard, trust me, it's hard. But um, I'm here if you want some help. I'm here if you want some advice. But go make sure you play it your way. And then there's the other types is like, you're using the hand axe? Well, oh my god, you're fucking terrible. Why don't you use something like the threaded cane that does almost no damage at all? Or, you know what, better yet, don't use a weapon. Use your fist. Get good. Like, the just the toxic, like, hyper-masculine bullshit players. I don't understand that mentality, but... I, I think that part of the community gives the community a bad name. I wouldn't even say that's the majority of the community. I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems like most of the community is, like, pretty helpful. They are. Um, it's just the, um, you know, they always say that the ones that are loudest are the ones that get heard the most. And unfortunately, the ones that are, like, the get good community, those are the ones you always hear about. You rarely ever hear about the ones that are like, hey, go here, do this. Because, like, even on your stream, um, everybody that you know, came in that had played the game before was like, hey, this is what we recommend. Like, me and Eccentric were both kind of um, coaching you through it as much as we could. And from my experience, most of the people that I've talked to in different communities are all like that. But I have also had people where, like, I'll, I'll, I was on a Facebook group one time, and I just, you know, I put in there, like, hey, this is how I beat this boss. And then the first two people that come, I was like, man, you did it the worst fucking way. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why don't you actually use some skill? I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Which was quickly followed by, you know, other people saying, hey, there's a, there's another way you can do this. And that's, I mean, that's always just two different types of way of giving advice. You can say, hey, there's an easier way. And then there's the, are you fucking stupid community? I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about FromSoft games too, from outsiders, because this game definitely, like, shattered some of those for me. Because, you know, speaking to the Get Good community, 
I I watched a I guess you would call them like video essays. I don't know. Um, but okay. I but it's my favorite uh, essayist reviewer, whatever YouTube. I don't know what you call it, but his name's Noah Gervais, and I've mentioned him before on here. I just think he's like the absolute best at, at what he does that I've seen. So the, his most recent video is like a five and a half hour video on the Dark Souls trilogy. Oh God! So he he was the same way. Like he had always been kind of turned off by the get good community and just you know he's an average gamer and he always thought, hey, I'm not skilled enough to beat these games. But when he actually started playing them, it kind of just rewired his thinking. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because you know the talk about. The whole, like, some people think this FromSoft game should have an easy mode, and others are like, no, that's that's a travesty, you can't have an easy mode, and, well, he, he made a good point, he's like, he's like, these games do have an easy mode, it's just more granular, it's, it's all put into the right. stats, it's mechanical, it can be as easy or hard as you want it to be. It, the more you like for me personally, I made a very strong, you know, strength based build and I was just fucking walloping motherfuckers at a certain point. Yeah. That made it significantly easier for me. Someone who doesn't necessarily have the skill to do a dex build. So yeah, that was just one of the misconceptions I, I think that people have. And I was happy to see that it, it was, it was not, it was not like I thought it was. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and that was when you told me you wanted to do it and you were asking me about, you know, what weapon should I go with? My, I remember the most successful run I had was when I used that axe and I just put everything into my axe. And I was like, you know what? My whole strategy is just hit it really hard. That's my strategy for this run through. And it works. I mean, it's simple. It's like you put all of your points into health and into strength. And that is simple mode. Just go in there and just fucking caveman that shit as best you can. Yeah, and that's kind of what um, I did. And it works. Um, and, and um, I, It wasn't until like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, it wasn't until my third play playthrough that I started like playing with dex weapons. And now I prefer dex weapons just because... I've hit a certain level of skill where, you know, they hit it really hard. It it can be a little easy. Like, for me, dex builds, they're still hard. Like, they are harder than strength builds by a mile. I love the twin blades, um, and I love combining them with different strategies. But even with the character that I'm using right now, I have the, the twin blades, and I have the beast cutter, which is just a whip axe. So it hits really hard, and it casts a wide... Uh, crowd control thing so it's kind of a one size fits all solution um but yeah it's your point about it's as easy or as hard as you want it to be um it usually just takes somebody pointing that out to you that it's it's this or it's that and i will say sadly it's kind of a problem i think in a lot of communities where they have people that kind of gatekeep I don't know what it is like their confidence is based off their ability to be really good at this particular thing and they need to feel superior in some kind of way. So that's where this gatekeeper mentality comes from. But I really wish that the the people that were more welcoming were heard more than the get good community. Yeah, and it's really sad because it's like this game supports the player, I feel, in any way they want to play it. And the the beauty of the game is 
there is no one way to play it, despite what these get good people want to say. So I think right. actually the axe is a very good beginner's weapon because it kind of gives you that confidence you need in the beginning. And then on your, you know, second playthrough, third playthrough, that's when you can start experimenting a little with other weapons and other builds. And I, I feel like... I feel I, I'm, I'm kind of worried, though, with the popularity of Elden Ring that that get good mentality is going to get worse because that small crowd's going to feel like, oh, now it's it's popular. Everybody's coming in and they're going to take it all personally. But if you define your identity by how good you are at a video game, come on, man, grow up. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, Ash calls me cocky, and I, I can be, but it's also always in good fun. I think there's a fine line between, oh, you think you're good? All right, well, then let's go. And then, like, you know, you play, and then, like, you, you can talk a little bit of shit, but at the end of the day, you say good game. Um, and I told her, like, I'm cocky, but I'm only cocky at the stuff that I know how to play. Um, so, for example, if somebody challenges me to smash, I'll, I'll go into it with a smile on my face, like, all right, let's see how good you are. And then if I beat the shit out of you, I'm, uh, I'll come across, sadly, as condescending. And my little brother's told me this, too. And I actually try not to do it, because I'll say, good game, but I'll have a smile on my face, and I can't get rid of the smile. I was like, okay, I'm still good. Well, it's, it's, um, it's all... But I'm not trying to be an asshole. It's all about context, though, because I think it's fine when it's all in good fun and everybody understands, like, you know, because we yeah. do that all the time. Like, you know, oh, like yeah. sometimes I, I, I wonder if people take me seriously all the shit talking me and Mike do to each other. Like they might think we actually hate each other outside of this. And <laughs> it's like, no man, we've been friends for like fucking, I don't know, 17 years. Like we know we're just fucking with each other. Like the more brutal I am with you going in on you, the more I love you. That's how I show love. I thought about that when we were streaming too. And like when you and I would talk back to Mike, cause we actually had like, I think at least, 10 people watching us when we started like really going in on Mike during that boss fight. And I was sitting here thinking, I was like, people are going to think we are just absolutely fucking horrible to people that watch this stream, but no, it's just Mike. We're not going to do that to anybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I think it's fine if you're, you're taking pride in your skill. That's great. Like as long as you're not gatekeeping other people. Uh, speaking of Mike, um, Mike has a little bit to say about Bloodborne. Um, I reached out to him um, and asked him if he had any thoughts. Um, and I really liked his take on it because it is something that it's, it's another road that you went down with Bloodborne. Um, and he wrote, the biggest thing I want to mention is you should always give games a second chance. I tried Bloodborne back in 2014 and it didn't do anything for me. I just moved on to the next game and forgot about it. Fast forward to eight years later, and I got the Platinum Trophy. Now it's one of my favorite PS4 exclusives. Your gaming tastes change over the years. If you had a similar experience with a well-beloved game many years ago, go back, give it another shot. Who knows? It might become one of your top ten games of all time. And I 100% agree with everything Mike said. I feel like if you've played from soft games before, you were turned off, give Bloodborne at least one chance because it's also it's extremely unique amongst all of the other FromSoft titles out there and um, we'll kind of get into those mechanics here in a minute but uh, Jacques what did you uh, think about what Mike wrote absolutely 100% I agree with him 
And I would suggest too, if you are giving it a try, get yourself an indie. Get somebody yes. who is a veteran of Bloodborne or whatever FromSoft game you play, and just kind of have them guide you through like the opening tutorial section, just until you kind of get it. Uh, because, like I said, there, there there's no other games like FromSoft games, and it's, it might not necessarily be for you, even if you give it a good college try, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be. But clearly these games are immensely popular for a reason. They they resonate. Yeah? They resonate? Huh? <laughs> I see what you did there. No one's going to get that. <laughs> yeah. If they've played co-op, they'll get it. Yeah, we're talking about the, the resonating the bell. You ring the bell. To, anyway, we'll get to that maybe. You can almost say we're beckoning you to play the game. A really famous game that th- this has happened to me to, and I probably mentioned it before, but uh, Dead Space. I originally yeah. played Dead Space and did not really dig it that much. I uh, didn't make it that far. And then I decided to like replay it and play the whole trilogy. And I mean, Dead Space might be my favorite survival horror game ever. I don't know. It's certainly up there. So, yeah, I would for sure recommend giving games a second chance uh, years down the road because the thing is, is you as a person change over the years. So your taste may also change. And I think that's the key right there. And I, I mentioned a second ago as far as what sets Bloodborne aside from other FromSoft titles and what I think FromSoft titles kind of do differently than any other game out there. Um, for me, I think the big draw to FromSoft games is because even though they are brand new, they do bring a sense of nostalgia in the sense that there are feelings that those games make me feel that I have not felt since a little kid. And what I mean by that is I want you to think back to like the NES and super Nintendo days back where you did not have a save where you can just pick up where you left off. Whenever you enter a new area for bloodborne or um, for dark souls or whatever, There are checkpoints, but they are checkpoints in the sense of like bonfires or lampposts or something like that. And you could potentially beat your head against the wall for an hour going through the same area over and over and over. Kind of like what you would do as a kid. Like for me, my the game that beat the ever loving shit out of me as a child was Mega Man X. Oh, yeah. Didn't matter what level I started off on. I got the shit kicked out of me. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I learned you're supposed to beat this boss and then beat this boss and beat this boss and use these abilities to go in this order. Nobody tells you that. There's no like, hey, press A to jump. Now press this to fire. Now do this. Now do this. No other. uh, Every game nowadays is like an hour's worth of explaining the mechanics of their games, stopping the action like that. Now, this is this menu. This is what this means. This is what this means. Bloodborne doesn't do that shit. It's like fucking go learn, learn by doing. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, that that these FromSoft games make you feel like you're a kid again almost, because I felt the exact same thing. Because like I said, I'd been kind of in a funk because so many games now are open world, and I just feel like it's so much filler and so much bullshit that I don't care about. Yeah. I just want to get to the meat of the game. And this, like Bloodborne is all meat. It is a meaty, (laughs) meaty game. (laughs) (laughs) 
so yeah, I, I, I did feel like that. I was like, it almost reinvigorated my love for gaming, which is crazy. I can't explain it, man. I think that's why I was so in love with it, actually. I mean, I am. I fucking love this game. I really, really do. I mean, when I, the first, like the two weeks that I was going hard on it, I, I would go to sleep. I would dream about Bloodborne. I would wake up. I would be thinking about Bloodborne. <laughs> I would be taking a shit. I would I've be thinking there. about how I'd rather be playing Bloodborne. Um, it just kind of consumes you when you first get into it, and it really clicks. And, you know, that does, this is making me want to play Elden Ring and other FromSoft games now. And, yeah, there's just something about the, the game design. And what's funny is the game design is actually very traditional. Like, a lot of it is very traditional game design. It's just done extremely well. It is perfected. Um, because, like you said, games back in the day, uh, you know, you didn't know shit. You just went to the video store, rented a game. You had the cover art, the back of the box. You're like, I don't know what this is. I don't have um, the internet to uh, look up youtube videos and you know watch entire playthroughs and all that you're just like you just play and you figure it out as you go and i kind of felt similar stuff here you know um even though i did use a i didn't i did not use a guide through this whole thing i, I purposely was trying to just kind of discover on my own until i really right. hit a wall and then i would kind of like just look up little hints and stuff and but for the most part i kind of wanted to kind of just do it fresh like on my own i, I think you don't have to play like that. Certainly, if like a guide helps you no. get through, by all means, use a guide. I'm not trying to gatekeep. You know, this, the same can be said for boss fights. Take a victory any way you can get it. Like, all is fair, in my opinion. You know, don't listen mm -hmm. to these people that are like, oh, you have to, you know, no skill points put in, only pickups. Right. Like, no armor. Like, like fuck that shit. That's all these fucking masochists. Yeah, that's that's just try hard shit, man. You just get the win any way you can. Just experience the game. I think that's the most important part. That should be the uh, the motto for all FromSoft games. Just get the win any way you can. <laughs> I, I mean, and you kind of have to, man, because there'll be times where you're like struggling. You're like, yeah, and I mean, like you were saying, you know, if you're struggling with a boss, by all means, look up a guide. And the thing with FromSoft games. Just because you look up a guide and you see tips don't mean that they're that's going to beat the boss for you. I can't tell you how many tips and tricks I've looked up for Orphan of Cost, and I'm, I still can't fucking beat them. Yeah, you still actually have to beat it. <laughs> yeah, and panic rolling is a thing. Doesn't matter if, you're, if your conscious self tells you, do not spam that circle button or that B button or whatever button you use to dodge or to roll. When you're sweating and you see your health bars two ticks away from dying, instinct's going to kick over and you're just going to have to, you, your brain's going to tell you you have to run. And the best way you can think to run is spam the fuck out of that dodge button. And nothing is more panic inducing when you're out of stamina and you can't dodge anymore. And the boss looks in your direction. You suddenly go from a hunter to a gymnast. <laughs> you're just doing like roll 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 yeah and then when you do run out that's the thing too you really have to be conscious of your stamina bar because you always want to leave just a little bit left to dodge away from the boss if you need to you don't want to just like i learned that that's the thing that's what i love about the game because it's so old school and it's game design mm -hmm. you need to learn that like learning is a great thing it's not a bad thing 
It's not, these games are not arbitrarily hard. I, I tell, I swear to you, they are not. There's a reason everything is intricately designed in a certain way. And I will, I will give you like an example right here. Um, and this was funny because this just shows that even after you beat the game, oh, your learning's not done. So, no. So on my new kit, new game plus, uh, I was, I got to Father Guest Coin, right? And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm a fucking G. I'm going to fuck this dude <laughs> up, right? So I go and just try to swing my overpowered axe and shit. Um, no, that, that, that strategy didn't work. Um, you know why? Because Guest Coin is specifically built as a boss to teach you to use your gun to parry. Yes. And if you do not parry, you will get fucked up. I don't care what level you are. <laughs> so I, j I was like getting the shit kicked out of me like a late game boss. And I'm like, what is going on? I, I, so I finally was like, okay, Jacques, like check your ego, play the game the way the game wants you to play it. So then I started parrying and I just fucked him up really quick. Like yeah. I basically got him in a corner. You know how in Street Fighter you would just do the the sweep spam with Ken or Ryu in the corner? I was basically doing that with the parries. Even when he turned into the werewolf, I was just fucking parry, parry, parry. He couldn't do shit. So I'm and it was easy because I played the game the way it was telling me to play it. So that's that's all you have to do is like listen and read. Pay attention to what the game is trying to tell you. It's teaching you how to beat it. It wants you to beat it. And that's another example of the game can be as easy or as hard as you want it to be. Um, there was a video that I watched years ago, but it kind of explained why Mega Man X is the perfect example of how you should do a tutorial. Um, and I think Bloodborne does it as well, because in Mega Man X, it teaches you everything you need to know as far as what does what on a controller um, going through that first level. You learn to shoot your gun because it sends enemies your way. I mean, that's the first thing you learn. Then it presents a gap to you, and then you're going to have to learn that you have to jump over it. And then you're going to keep on moving, and then you're going to learn that there's enemies in the sky. So you can jump and you can shoot. So you discover that. And it never tells you you can do these things. You just your Your brain mentally processes it. Once you've done that, the floor falls from underneath you and it crashes at the bottom. So you start jumping naturally. You try and jump towards the walls and you notice Mega Man starts sliding down the side and you can keep jumping to get out. So it naturally teaches you the mechanics of the game without, you know, putting like a whole thing saying stop. Mega Man, do this or Mega Man, you can fire this. It just you figure it out because you don't have a choice. Bloodborne does the same thing, not in the sense you don't have a choice. But in the sense that you can learn that there are easier ways of doing things if you just pay attention. Um, you can definitely muscle your way through it and then just, you know, go blasting through every wall it throws at you just because you've overbuffed your character by going back and grinding and grinding and grinding to the point to where fuck what the game's trying to tell you. You can hit the boss hard enough to where it doesn't fucking matter. But you'll have an easier time if you just pay attention to what it's trying to teach you. Yeah, and that's that goes back to what we're saying about like sort of traditional game design. Um, it it yeah. gives you all the tools you need to beat the game if you're paying attention. And I think too many people get discouraged because games nowadays are, let's be honest, they're way too handholdy. 
Very. And I just think we're not used to traditional style games where it's like you're going to, it, it engages your brain. You're going to have to pay attention. And I think yeah. that's a big part of why it has such a large fan base. Um, especially now with Elden Ring is it really does engage you. It engages your brain like probably no other game, to be honest. So, and, and we're not used to that. I think that's where that, that like surprise factor comes in. Like that, you know, Oh, this, this is really addicting. Like it's really just engaging my brain. You know, you, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's, it's a, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a different style game. You just have to get used to it. And I'm glad you circled back around to Elden Ring, because um, a few minutes ago I had mentioned that it's different from other FromSoft games. And what I mean by that, um, in Dark Souls, um, Sekiro, Elden Ring, all of those games are are pretty traditional in the sense to where, you know, you take a hit, you're going to have to heal in order to get that hit back. Bloodborne, on the other hand, is different because instead of being on the defensive or just being hyper-aggressive, just for the sake of being aggressive, Bloodborne rewards you for being aggressive. You take a hit, you get in there, you hit that motherfucker back because you will get health back. Instead of rolling backwards or like rolling off to the side and your speed being weighed down by how much gear you have, like um, in Elden Ring and Dark Souls, you can fat roll, which means you just have so much shit on you. Your character just rolls at like a very slow pace. Bloodborne, you rarely ever roll. Most of the time, your character is like leaping out of the way, but he never rolls. He stays on his feet because it rewards fast play, getting in, you get hit, you get that hit back. It's faster. Um, And what I love about Elden Ring is that once you've spent enough time in Elden Ring and you've found some of the different things, there's a little bit of everything from other FromSoft games in Elden Ring. A lot of times if I'm going to go play Bloodborne now, my first thought is to go immediately build Eileen the Crow. I love her outfit. I love her twin blades. And I usually go for the old Hunter's Bone, which allows you to basically teleport in a way. All of those items are in Elden Ring. You can go get her blades. You can get her outfit. And it's called the... um. Uh, was I think it's called Bloodhound Step in Elden Ring, but it's the old Hunter's Bone from Bloodborne. You teleport in da- uh, Dash at the same time, and you don't roll. So you can make a Bloodborne build in Elden Ring. Um, the only bad thing is that there's no mechanic in Elden Ring that I found where if you take a hit and then hit back, you get some of your health back. If it did, I probably would have beaten Elden Ring by now. Yeah, I feel like I think that's why you connect, well, partially why you connect so much with Bloodborne, because it's... I think it's really geared towards people with ADD to a point, at least the combat, <laughs> because like you said, you're rewarded for being aggressive. And I love that because it reinforces the narrative. You are a hunter. You're not the hunted. You are not running away. Another way it rewards, you know, or not rewards, but, you know, people that have ADD may thrive in it is like you were saying, it's open world, but it's not open world. It's linear, but it's it's open world in the sense that it's a labyrinth. Like if you're usually you can go forward, you can go back. And then there's every now and again, there's a bridge where you can like bridge off and go to the right and go discover a whole new area. 
Um, or if you know you have ADD and you just start reading item descriptions, you may learn there's a whole other quest line that you didn't know about just because you read an item description. If you go to Yusefka's clinic and you pick up an anonymous letter and you never read it, you're never going to learn. You can go to Kanehurst Castle just by taking that letter into Hemwick Charnel Lane. Yes, and I almost missed Kanehurst, which I'm so glad I didn't because it's it's a great level. It is. That's another place that will humble you if you think you're a badass. Well, unless you actually are a badass like me and you beat Ligarius on your first try, you know, no sweat. Shut up, Jacques. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, you get lucky every once in a while with a boss. There's definitely something to beginner's luck where you have no preconceived notions of a boss and you're just reacting on pure adrenaline and fear. I think there was like four bosses that I beat first try. Lugarius was one of them. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones. Um, I remember your first playthrough. It didn't take you long to beat Gascoigne. Yeah, I beat Gascoin technically on my second try. Um, and what's funny is, like, the first time I beat him, I was being an idiot and just fucking panic rolling all over the place, and I just got <laughs> totally lucky. But it's funny that that didn't work on my second playthrough when I was even more powerful. Um, so, let's see. what else? I think I beat Vicar Amelia my first try. She was not hard at all. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. I think you beat... Didn't you say you beat Murgo um, first try? I did not. But see, the thing is, like, most bosses, I beat on, like, my second, third, fourth try. Like, it didn't take me many tries. A lot of times it takes one time just to learn what they're going to do, like, get their tells and everything. Yeah, exactly, right. And it's, most bosses are, honestly, the bosses were not as hard as I thought they were going to be, but I think a lot of that is due to I was over-leveled. Yeah, I remember you told me you one-shot Amygdala, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't one-shot him, but uh, I think it only took me, like, a couple tries on Amygdala. Gotcha. But yeah, it's it's like, like I said, you can just, the game is kind of as easy or as hard as you want it to be. It's, I just super leveled up my strength, and I mean, I kind of leveled myself out pretty evenly, actually. Like, I my health, uh, stamina, or endurance, whatever it's called my they were all like pretty high like i didn't just focus on strength and health like i think like i'm a level right. 124 now and i think i got my both my vitality and endurance up to like 30 and my strength was like 50 and then i did i was like working up my skill you know like 20 something and so it was, it was pretty evenly spread it was definitely you know geared towards strength for sure so that that certainly helped to make some of the bosses easier. If you could just find their weak point, that's the key. Like a lot of times it's right. in their flank or their side, their back behind them. If you can get around and get a couple hits in, that's the key. Don't be greedy. You have to know when to back off. You have to know their or attacks. Or what they're weak to. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah, what they're weak to. Like some are weak to fire or, you know, electricity or beast blood pellets always help. That's always a good thing to carry. Strengthens you. That's another example of, um, you know, the game being more traditionally built. Um, if you go into Old Yarnum, if you bring out a torch, you'll notice that all of the beasts in that area, for the most part, kind of shy away from you. Like, they don't like fire. If you notice that and you carry that all the way to the end, 
the boss for that area, which is Blood Starved Beast, is extremely weak to fire. So it's little hints like that. If you just pay attention, you'll you'll find the easy way to beat the boss. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I said, they, this game gives you the tools if you're paying attention. And if you're really just struggling on a boss, it, chances are you just have to find what that thing is that'll give you the edge. Like like Indy said, Bloodstarf Beast is weak to fire. Um, you know, uh, or maybe you just need to, you're not strong enough. Maybe you're under leveled. That could be the problem. Um, there, there's just many things. It's not like none of the bosses are impossible. I mean, no. it cer- certainly does take some skill. It's not like it's just a cakewalk. You know, if, if this is just not your type of game where you're just, you're not, you skilled at combat and you know, your reaction times aren't good. You, you might have some trouble, but I definitely would at least try it. You know, don't don't just automatically write it off. So, Indy, it, like we've been talking a while. Do you want to start talking about like story stuff and like other? I things? was literally about to segue into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've been we've been talking a lot about you know why we have fun playing it. But um, definitely the other part I wanted to touch on is the story itself. Like speaking of paying attention to your surroundings and everything. Um, the cool thing about Bloodborne is like, yeah, you'll pick up a lot through cutscenes, but you'll notice even more when you start reading item descriptions and things like that and pay attention to the notes. Um, so, I mean, Jacques, I'm just going to go ahead and turn this over to you. Like what parts of the story, like, did you pick up on anything like really interesting from like reading item descriptions or did you mainly just kind of take what story you could from the cutscenes and just kind of roll with it from there? So for me, honestly, the the where I got the story from was after I played the game, just watching YouTube videos and things like that. Because while you're actually playing the game for the first time, it, it is hard to kind of get a grip on what is actually going on. Um, because you're you're just worrying about learning the game, and you're not really mm-hmm. sure how all these descriptions of things tie together. And a lot of it's vague too, but really just, you know, consuming like hours and hours. Like I said, I was obsessed and I, I, I still am like, you know, not as obsessed as I was the first like couple weeks, but, and, but once I like pieced together, like what was actually happening, I'm like, wow, there is a lot of stuff going on in this game. Um, oh, there's a ton. I mean, the whole healing church, um, you know, the whole like, split between Lawrence and um Provost William like that kind of like started the whole thing and you know uh Lawrence goes and starts the healing church they 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 use the the old blood which William warns about like fear the old blood <laughs> <laughs> I want to get a shirt that says fear the old blood oh absolutely and so they weren't necessarily adversarial at first, because they were, they were, you know, cool. They, they were both working at Bergenworth, um, you know, studying, you know, what they, they uncovered the, which is the Chalice Dungeons. That's where they find, like, mm-hmm. the Th- Thumerian artifacts, and that's where they kind of uncover, you know, hey, there might be something more that's going on here. Right, the old great ones and everything. Yeah, it's that's what's cool too is like, and I think pretty much every FromSoft game has this. There's always a twist like about, you know, halfway or through the game or maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, this game, you think it's just, oh, yeah, werewolves, monsters, things like that. Typical uh, gothic kind of stuff. But then, like, there's a twist where it's like, no, this, we're dealing with, like, great ones. Oh, like, cosmic gods. It goes full Lovecraft. It is awesome, man. It is. Like, and it's so cool finding out about all the individual characters, like... Let's just take like Abridus, you know, mm-hmm. um, you find out that she was actually a human, I believe, that transcended into a great one. Um, I think she was like a scientist or archaeologist or something. I don't know. But um, and you do find a few of them throughout, like Rom was a human that transcended. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of funny because I think the other great ones kind of look at Rom as like a lackey, basically like a stupid. That's, like, that's more why or it's, less what Rom is, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's called the vacuous spider because it's like stupid. It's it, but it's playing a very important role though. Like until you defeat Rom, well, you don't know what is truly going on unless you have insight, enough insight. Mm-hmm. Which I think, how much insight do you need to like thirty or twenty? Okay. I was just gathering all the, I was consuming all the insight before I truly knew what it did. And there was a point that, um, you know, before I beat Rom and kind of lifted the veil, I, I turned the corner to head towards Cathedral Ward. And lo and behold, I was, the shit was scared out of me by a giant amygdala hanging on the side of the building. <laughs> and uh, I just love that mechanic, the whole insight thing. I, I think that is so cool. Because that's basically like, you know, Williams, that's his whole thing. The, uh, like, they, they wanted to, they wanted to learn more about the great ones through knowledge. Whereas, uh, Lawrence wanted to just use the old blood for like healing and they would transcend that way. So it's kind of funny, like the divide there. I've been talking for a while. What do you have to say? Um, well, I mean, I'm just gonna, I was kind of gonna recap what you were saying. Um, for those that haven't played the game or have been on the fence about it, um, I was going to give just kind of a basic rundown of what the story, and you kind of recapped it really well. They kind of tell the story out of order. It's very much so a mystery of trying to figure out well, how did all of this happen? Um, and you were absolutely right. It, it all starts at Bergenworth with Lawrence and uh, with Willem. They branch off in form two different factions. Willem keeps his uh, students and they try and ascend by just elevating their thoughts to a different plane. His whole thing is their eyes have yet to open. Um, And he kind of takes it literally, uh, which is why you'll see all the different students at Bergenworth to turn into fly creatures that have like a million different eyes. (laughs) And you won't be able to see everything unless you do one of two things. Like you said, you either get 20 insight, um, which means your character can actually just, it it's almost, almost in a way that it has elevated. You can see everything now or you kill the vacuous Rom. And I heard another uh, interpretation for the vacuous part of her name is that with vacuous, when she's there, she's kind of putting some kind of cast out there or spell to where, She's keeping everything hidden from everybody, which is why once you do kill her, she that it's no longer in play, which means everybody can see everything now, which is why if you go back to Cathedral Ward and then you go to the the Odin Chapel, 
all of the NPCs in there are losing their shit because now everybody can see what's going on because Vacuous Rom is no longer doing her thing. Yeah, they're they're being stricken with the like Lovecraftian madness. Yes, exactly. Um but yeah, so Willem and Lawrence split off. Lawrence goes and starts a whole clusterfuck of things. Um he obviously starts injecting the old blood, throws caution to the wind, and creates three different factions. Um I think it was the School of Mensis, the Healing Church, and then the Hunters. Garman started the Hunters. Yes. Uh so Garman was the first hunter. Um and then eventually I I get lost on what happens next, but essentially those are the three factions you need to know about. Uh, the School of Mensis kind of goes rogue and does their whole thing in Yarhagul, the Unseen Village. And you can see that a little bit, like, again, paying attention to your surroundings, because you'll find a member of the choir is... Like their bodies tied up in a chair in Yarhogul, um, like they took a member of the church and kind of tortured them to figure out different things. Um, you'll also find a hunter in um the Nightmare of Mensis from the choir. Um, and I think the whole theory is that he's there to go find out what happened to that particular hunter to go find Mikolesh. Um, so there's a lot of different lore that you can find just by putting pieces together. Um, like you, I didn't really put a lot of this together till I went and found a YouTuber and watched their videos. Uh, for me, it was Vati Vidya. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, no, Vati. I, yeah, yeah, I watched some of his videos for sure. Yeah. Um, he actually has a really cool series called Prepare to Cry where he breaks down the extended lore of different NPCs. But if you want a quick rundown of Bloodborne's lore, he has a 37-minute video and an 11-minute video. Um, watch either one of those. The 37 one is really um, informative. Ash, <laughs> she hates when I start playing Bloodborne, and I do it every year. Like, I go back through Bloodborne, either just to fuck around and go do some um, player versus player, or I start a whole new character and just go through the game again. But she watched that video with me before we did the podcast and I was like, hey, I want to watch this just to kind of refresh um, some of the different lore that I may have forgotten. Um, and she got sucked into it. She was very interested in the lore by watching the 37 minute video. And she was honestly a little bit disturbed at certain points just because of how, you know, a mysterious illness all of a sudden starts showing up and then they send hunters out to go take care of the illness so nobody else gets sick. And it was kind of a mirror of how COVID went down. But that's part of what I love about Bloodborne is it brings so many of my favorite tropes together. You got Lovecraft, you have conspiracy, you have religious conspiracy. Um, it's all these different things like the perfect melting pot of lore and then the tone, the gothic architecture, the monsters, the turns, the layers of depth that it goes like gameplay wise and lore wise. I'm gushing, but it's because I love everything about this game. Yeah, no, the lore is actually super deep. Like you were talking about <laughs> Mikolash. Oh, God. Fucking Mikolash. <laughs> <laughs> he he is annoying. Like he's not necessarily a really hard boss, but it's just it's a very different boss fight. It's a lot of running, like chasing. 
so like he actually kind of went rogue from the healing church. Yes. He was tra- he was trying to do the ritual of Mensis because he founded the school of Mensis, and that's where you you, you in the night uh, the uh, nightmare of Mensis is where you find the fucking abomination known as the brain of Mensis. Um, which is a very cool thing, and you can even uh, do some secret stuff with that too. And um, but like Mikolash, I thought Mikolash was the one in the chair that you find that's dead. Am he I is, wrong? That's his body. Okay, but his consciousness is kind of it, it's ascended into the dream um, because they found the an nightmare. umbilical cord and they used it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, because they're all trying to. It, it's funny that each group is trying. They have their own ideas about how you ascend, and. Um, I don't know. I tend to think like uh, Mikolashes is kind of like maybe the most interesting. Like the whole, I like the the um, nightmare of Mensis area. I mean, it's a it's a fucking nightmare. It's in the name. It's I good god that area is just it, it's a hellscape. It's so good though. Oh my god, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, it's just very difficult, <laughs> yes. especially when you have this brain. This all-seeing brain, like frenzying you, like unless or you're if taking you have, cover. Like Forty insight. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And so you know, I definitely put on my rune to give me some extra protection against the frenzy, because um, you know, we'll talk about the winter lanterns in a minute, <laughs> but uh, but Mikolash, uh, I, I just love the part where he's like, grant us eyes. Grants us eyes. Because <laughs> he's talking about, like, you know, they're trying to, they think by lining their brain with eyes or some shit. I, it's, they're, they're crazy. I, basically, yeah, that's the whole point of the game, I think, is kind of just to show, like, humans are the real monsters. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a very good way of putting it. Um, there's a couple other things I could say. I won't say on the podcast just because I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but I mean, it, an argument could also be made that, well, I guess I am going to end up saying it, but I'm going to say it in a very polite way that religion has caused a lot of people to do some really crazy shit in the search of either elevating to a higher plane when they pass or, you know, just in the name of their deity. And when you see what Mikolesh has done to his students in the lecture hall, you walk up and he's sitting in the middle of the room, but if you turn on a torch or you light up your lantern, you will see the lecture hall is lined with bodies of his students that he has sucked into this nightmare with him. They basically just become goo monsters, too. I don't even know what the fuck they are anymore. Do, by the way, do you think uh, do you think Rom was like a student of Bergenworth? Um, so Rom was not a student. Um, Willem finds out about Rom. So Rom was already there. Um, I think the theory is that all of the quote unquote great ones were, um, Tumerians. So it's whatever race occupied those chalice dungeons. The great ones that we find are, well, some of the great ones we find are Tumerians that ascended. So, and what's interesting too is, and going back to my point about how, you know, humans are the real monsters, which is not like anything new. I mean, it's pretty standard ground for stories like these, but, and you can even go, you know, there's so much stuff to point to that, like, you know, old Yarnum, that whole 
thing burning down of old Yarnum and how that you know and then there's that hunter what's his name that sits atop with the the chain gun the oh jura jura yeah he he's he's very um he's guilt-ridden like he he wants to make amends like he's one of the few actually i actually think like jura and i mean i haven't played the old hunters yet but it seems like lady maria is also like very um um they're they're just guilt ridden. Like they want to make amends. Like they're probably some of the the better, like more moral characters in the game because there's not many. Yeah, and you'll notice that pattern. Like anybody who's kind of classified as an old hunter, like Garmin was an old hunter, Mario's an old hunter, Jora technically is an old hunter. Um, he's just not in a nightmare or a dream or anything like that. Uh there's actually a comic that oh, I'll say a graphic novel that focuses around the powder keggers, which is a, um, I don't want to necessarily say he's a faction of the old hunters, but it's a, I guess you could say it's a class, but they were in charge of going into old Yarm and wiping them all out. And that did not sit right with some of them. So now Jorah like sees them as people. They're just sick. So he just tries to, you know, cut it off from the rest of yarn was like leave them alone they're they're not bothering you it's fine just go back the way you came yeah like he protects the quote-unquote monsters and i thought that was really cool and um yeah but i was gonna say too like if you kind of read into the text and stuff like the great ones are not necessarily evil they're not bad they are they're actually sympathetic i think they use that word too like they're sympathetic they're they're just beyond our understanding, but in in our quest to ascend, quote unquote, it's like we 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 uh, we visit terrible things upon humanity mm-hmm. and ourselves. We we do we do terrible crimes in the name of ascending to try to become these great ones, and it's like we are we're losing our humanity, but not in the way that they think is going to happen, <laughs> you know, it's, and it's kind of interesting, like, like a Britus I was talking about earlier, like, she's just minding her own business, you know, yeah, hidden away, um, we're the ones that are exploiting her, you know, the choir is exploiting her, and using her blood, and she's just mourning, actually, like, I don't know if yeah. it's like a child that she's mourning or what, something that looks almost like Rom, um, yeah, and it's just like we're we're doing all these horrible things. It's like that, you know, this this it's kind of interesting. You just find like all these big bosses you're fighting, like these great ones are not necessarily the evil ones. And some of the bosses aren't even great ones. They're just, you know, people who the the blood just got to them so much. Like the cleric beast that you find. I mean, that was a hunter at some point. It's just they've gone absolutely fucking crazy and given into the sickness so much um, that they've turned into a beast. Um, and I think with Abratis, um, she's actually considered a great one who was left behind, so she never fully ascended. She's just stuck there. Yeah, she's basically depressed. She's just sad, just all by her lonesome. Um, but another interesting theory is that, you know, 
everybody wants to ascend to a great one to be on this other plane of existence. But, you know, the great ones aren't like these almighty gods. They're just another race. And an argument can be made that they don't all necessarily get along because when you break it down, and this is spoilers for the end of the game, you are living in the hunter's dream, which is being hosted by the moon presence. And the whole reason the moon presence is hosting this dream is so he can send you out as a hunter time and a time and time again to go kill other great ones. Yeah, I picked up on that too. I thought that was interesting. Like, yeah, it's like these great ones are not all necessarily aligned. Which kind of mirrors humanity, like in the the split with the the healing church and the school of Mensis and Bergenworth and all that. It's yeah. So I mean when you when you start breaking down the story, um and and you guys have probably gathered this by now, it's just there's so much depth to it and there's so much like backstabbing and just these different factions that may not be friendly towards each other and the parallels that you see between the humans that are trying to ascend. And then when you break down what the great ones are doing to each other, like leaving a behind the moon presence, sending you out to go kill other great ones, the orphan of cost. When you get to it, it's literally crying over its dead mother. So something killed uh, its mother, which is another great one. There's so many parallels between the basic human beings that think they could be so much better if they were a great one, but that nature of still killing each other exists even if you ascend. So it's it's this tragic story of rinse and repeat. It doesn't matter how powerful you are, that nature is still there. Um, it's dark, but I mean, for me personally, I love tragedy. I love dark stories like that. Um, I don't know why I'm attracted to it. Maybe I'm just fucked up in the head, but I, I love it. No, well said. Yeah, you perfectly explained it. And I don't think it really truly dawned on me until just now when you were saying that, that in our hubris to ascend, it's like, we still can't escape our nature. It's like always there. We we think we're becoming something greater. Like, oh, we're we're above all this killing each other and factions. And it's like, no, that's still there. Even when you're <laughs> a great still one, killing it's, each other. It's like, no, man, you have to. It's never gonna end until you look inside yourself and figure out why you're doing this and what do you truly want. Because with the hunters, there is always this fear that they're gonna give into the bloodlust. Yeah, that's that's always there. And like Eileen is specifically a hunter of hunters. Like she's like, you know, who watches the Watchmen? That's her. Right. She's like, a, so it's it's always there, that fear that you're going to give in. Um, but it's kind of funny. You start as a hunter and then you're just as you go through the game, you're like starting to question like why you're even doing this. And and um I think that's like it's totally in line with the narrative, like the gameplay and the narrative. And I mean, you can even take sides as the hunter. Cause I mean, you learn if you go to Kanehurst and do that whole quest line, that Kanehurst, they're considered the vile bloods, but there's actually a mechanic in that to where if you're trying to help friends play and you take the oath of a vile blood and then your friends don't do that. If you try and play co-op, um, 
there's, I think it's like a 10% chance that instead of coming in as an ally, you'll come in as a villain to fight your friend. Like that was interesting. We found that out by accident because as soon as I found the vile bloods, I thought they were fucking cool. I love the knight's armor for it. It gave me Van Helsing vibes. I was like, you guys are basically uh, vampires. That's what you are. Yeah. So it's like, well, I want to be a vampire. And my two friends didn't take that route. So the two friends that I was kind of working as a tour guide for Bloodborne is like, and if you look to your left, you'll find the cleric beast. And if you look to the right, you'll see a bloodstar beast. <laughs> I was now coming into their games instead of helping them. I was attacking them. So it was this kind of cool parallel. Cause I remember the first time it happened, I was like, uh, why am I red? Why are y'all blue? What's going on here? And then, I pulled my pistol and I did damage on one. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, well, uh, 2v1. Let's go. <laughs> Speaking of Kanehurst, what's your favorite area in Bloodborne? Oh, man. Um, um, I mean, to explore, I still love Central Yardum. Um, going down into the sewers, the this whole thing about these huge like gothic skyscrapers of different levels of just chaos on each level i love it so from yarnum to central yarnum those are probably my two favorite areas to explore um but i also love um mensis like going through that huge castle I guess I have a thing for just the castles and the architecture. So it's going to be the Mensis, like once you actually get into the castle and Yarnum and Central Yarnum, those are going to be my three. Kanehurst would be in it just because there's, you really have to think outside the box as far as how you're going to traverse that castle. Um, It's not like, hey, here's this like castle, you know, go explore it. You have to explore everything as far as like, you know, at some point you're going to jump out a window. You're going to have to walk down the ledge of the castle. You're going to have to run on the roof that you wouldn't normally think to do unless you're just really looking for any way to move forward. Um, But what about you? That's so funny, everything you just said, because I am almost exactly the same. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, like, and I was really thinking about it beforehand, before we did this, and I'm like, you know what? I think, like, just, like, Central Yarnum, and just, and also, like, I would include, like, I don't know if you consider this as this part of, like, Yarnum, but, like, just Cathedral Ward, just including, yeah. like, the Upper Cathedral Ward area, too. Like, just that whole, like, run, like, the surrounding area of Yarnum, and it's the same way, just these tall, like, gothic castles you know or you know these cathedrals you see and you're just like man where does it end and i can't wait to fucking explore that and there's also something to be said about first impressions so i think like you know you're still enamored with the newness of everything while you're in central yarnum and i think that really sticks in my head um i would also i was also gonna say uh nightmare of mensis it's fucking terrifying because just everything, like literally everything is so powerful and wants to kill you at all times. Like you're just never at ease. It's so insane. It's like another level of difficulty. And then when you finally get into the the air inside and like the spiders. Oh God, I forgot about the spiders. Oh my God, dude. They're so aggressive and they're, they hit hard and then you're running from that, and you're like, oh, no, okay, I made it past this. Then you run into another fucking hunter 
who is insanely powerful. And then you're just like, okay, so each moment, each step of this journey, you're like, you realize, like, I don't want to fight any of these things. I just want to run <laughs> past all of this. So I get finally run past all that. I get inside the the main part and it's like really dark and I'm just running. I'm like, I'm just going to run through all this. And then I fall down a fucking hole that I don't see in the dark. And I'm like, this is a fuck. And that's not even to say the brain of Mensis. That's like I said, is frenzying you like crazy the whole time outside. Yeah, it's just a cool area. And then, you know, you know, all the like the top of, uh, you know, Mergo's loft, like the middle part, you got that whole like run, which is good to grind where you got all the shadows of and the, the two pigs and it's a crazy area. Um and uh, also Kanehurst, yeah, I was also going to say that because I just think I like the vibes. It's just it's different than anything else, really. It's it's like snowy outside. They're basically vampires. I really like all the ghosts inside there. I think they're super cool. Um, yeah, just like traversing it, you know, across the roofs and everything. And now, what about like what's your least favorite areas? Um, least favorite. I mean, honestly, for me, the chalice dungeons, if they count, um, just because they're there to be grindy, they're there for like a challenge mode or a boss run. But I, I just, I don't like the mechanics of them. I feel like if they were restructured, I would love the chalice dungeons. Like if it was, um, almost a separate mode to where it was procedurally generated. Like, you know, you just, you enter a dungeon, just go as far as you can. I would absolutely fucking love that. But because it's this weird mechanic of, all right, now do this chalice ritual, do this one, do this one, do this one, do this one, do this one. Just keep doing that until you finally kill queen Yarnum. It, it gets tedious. Yeah. I gotta say, I'm not a fan of how they're structured. I still like me and you are going to have to eventually beat that to where I get the, oh, yeah. so I can get my last few trophies. But uh, yeah, not a fan. I don't really count those though, since it's kind of like separate from the main game. So like as far as main game, like what's your least favorite areas? Apart from that, um, actually, you know what? It's the, um, the nightmare frontier uh, where Amygdala oh, is. I don't, totally. I do not like that area. I fucking hate that area. I would say it's either that for me or the Forbidden Woods we were doing with all the snakes, that area. Yeah. But I, I'm going to have to say, yeah, Nightmare Frontier probably takes it for me. It, I, you know, Forbidden Woods popped into my head, but they also serve a good purpose because if you clear out those woods and kill every single snake, like early on when you're still trying to level up, it's a perfect grinding part for middle game um, until you get to Murgo's Loft. But since we're on the topic of favorites and we only have like 10 minutes left, I think we should probably go over bosses. Okay. Uh, least favorite and most favorite boss. I don't know. I'm, I'm still struggling with this because I was trying to think beforehand and it's it's really tough. Um, I honestly don't know, man. Do, do you think you could go first while I think? Yeah, sure. Um, it's going to be very quick, though. Uh, least favorite boss um, absolutely is Mikalesh. I hate a motherfucker that will run literally the entire game and sputter off the same dialogue over and over and over and making random noises. Like, the guy literally goes, woo, 
like <laughs> just out of fucking nowhere. I'm like, Jesus yeah. Christ. And then if you are not strong to withstand like Arcana builds and he hits you one time with um, the Augury of Abritus and it one shots you, you're going to start all over. So that whole boss fight is obnoxious as hell. Um, when I co-opted it with my buddy Tim, we actually beat Mikolesh like outside of the last room. Like we managed to block him in a way to where he couldn't even run in there. So we beat his ass in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but favorite boss is hands down is it's Gehrman. I always love the hunter versus hunter fights. Um, there's a boss that you fight as Eileen's final quest thing. He's incredibly hard, but the reason I like fighting Garman is because there's dialogue and there's stakes that go along with it. Like, you are fighting to beat the game. So that's why Garman is my all-time favorite boss fight in Bloodborne. I would have said Orphan of Koss was my least favorite boss fight, just because I still haven't beat it. But it's also, like, this huge mountain that I'm just waiting to climb, and... I know once I beat him, it'll be super satisfying, but there's nothing satisfying about fighting Mikolesh. It's just annoying. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You know, I actually don't hate Mikolesh because I think it's just, I like how the boss fight is kind of different than any other boss fight. He can definitely be a bitch, no doubt. It's it's like, it's just so interesting, though, how it's like you're trying to find him in this like labyrinth and you're going up all these levels and it's like I just find it interesting but as far as like I think the weakest boss fight is probably the witch of Hemwick there's nothing to it and it, it what's funny is like when I first fought her I beat her on my first try that was another one I actually had my insight super high so I actually didn't realize that I made it harder on myself because all those <laughs> fucking things were popping out of the ground but yeah, I just, I don't know. She's just kind of there. Um, as far as, like, my favorite boss, I don't know, man. This is really hard because... Oh, no, I'll go back, though. I'll say, like, another one I just wasn't too fond of was the One Reborn. Just because... It, I, I mean, I guess it's sort of like the Tower Knight from Demon Souls. It's the same concept where you gotta go around and get all those fucking bell-ringing bitches from around the... <laughs> But I just, I didn't find it hard. Like, actually, once I kind of got what you're doing, like, there was really nothing to it. I didn't find the boss look that interesting. It was just like a fucking amalgam of all kinds of fucking bodies and yeah. shit. Um, as far as favorite, uh, I do like Gehrman. Although I would say Gehrman was like the hardest boss for me personally. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not good against the hunters. Because I actually did not use my parry that much throughout the whole game, which is funny, uh, because you're supposed to. Um, I just did not... I don't have good reaction time. So I should have been practicing it, but I wasn't. Um, but once I kind of was, like, mastering that, it, it, it oh my god, it makes fights so much easier. Especially if you put on the rune, which strengthens your visceral attacks. So yeah, he was probably giving me the most trouble... And he he's just cool too. Like I I like Gehrman. I I also you know we we already talked about the story, but I just I like yeah. his his story too. The whole his connection with Maria and his whole history and stuff, which I'll you know get into when I play the DLC. 
it's kind of a sad, tragic story, really, much like everybody else. I kind of feel sorry for him. And that's actually where I think the whole, like, the Great Ones have a sympathetic nature, because that's the whole reason the doll comes to life, is because the Great Ones permit it. Right, exactly, yeah, because he clearly loved Maria, so that's basically a, it's like Maria in doll form. Yeah. Um... We didn't even talk about the doll. She's interesting, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, like, I don't know, man. I really don't have a favorite, I guess. Um, I mean, it's it's a fair point to say that there's a lot of really good bosses, and it's really hard to narrow one down. Yeah, it really is. I'll also say Bloodstarved Beast was another one of my favorites. I was going to say Bloodstarved Beast is probably the other one that gave me a lot of trouble, and you you saw a lot of that on stream. Yeah. I think part of that was just I was underleveled and didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah, once I came back later, I just fucking annihilated him. <laughs> yeah, because once we got you to Blood Starved Beast, um, with the advice that I was giving you, we more or less fast-tracked you to that boss. I think that's probably where I should have backed off and like let you kind of start grinding a bit, because when you get the Blood Starved Beast, if you are an experienced player, it can be a fun boss fight. Um, but if you're brand new, it, it can be more challenging than fun. Um, and you definitely went into that underpowered and yeah, we should have let you grind a bit. Cause I think I went to blood starved beast before even, uh, gas coin. So yeah, way too early. What is your, the enemy that is just. And it doesn't even have to be a boss. It could just be like one enemy that is just so fucking annoying to you that just gets under your skin. So, yeah, I won't pick a boss because, I mean, my knee-jerk reaction is Orphan of Costs, um, but I've talked about that enough. Um, but as far as generic enemies, um, I don't know what they're called, but they are maidens that... Um, I, I, they exist in the Nightmare Frontier and in Nightmare of Mensis. Um, they have full dresses, but their head is just this bulbous thing with a lot of eyes that are constantly singing lullabies. And if your character gets a line of sight on them or they get a line of sight on you, you immediately start taking frenzy damage. So you just start losing the fight just by being in their presence. That's the Winter Lanterns I was talking about. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that's what their name was. They're probably one of the most terrifying enemies in the game just because of them being able to frenzy you just by looking at them. And not only that, but they sing that creepy-ass song so you know when you're near one and you're like, oh, shit. Um, and there's that one particular one in the Nightmare Frontier down below where it's just, that is just a hellscape of an area because you're getting poisoned constantly and you're getting frenzied. Now, did you know that, because I didn't know this while I was playing, but I looked it up later, they have the doll body. It's it's the doll's body. Yes. If you, yes. And not only that, but its head is all the little messengers. That's what that is, with eyes all around it. As much as I hate them, they also kind of let you know. It's kind of like an audio cue to let you know that, hey, there is a, a loot stash somewhere nearby, and if you can find these fuckers and then get past them and then keep going you're gonna find an item that is going to change your character fundamentally in some way 
in the Nightmare on Mensis, if you get past the two that are guarding a certain bridge, once you figure out how to get there, because you really have to think about it or look up a guide, one or the other, um, if you keep going that route, you'll eventually kill the Brain of Mensis and get yourself a Bloodstone Rock, which is what you need in order to get your weapon up to level 10, which is max. Right, I think there's only two of those in the game, too. There is. There's uh, that one, and there's one more in the DLC, but those are the only two. Uh, So, like, two other little enemies I fucking hate, the crows. They're such a small enemy, but, like, if you're just not, if you're just being nonchalant about it, like, they can take an unnecessary amount of health away from you. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they'll just, and I, they sound awful, too. I hate the sound. Yeah. And they'll just fucking keep flying towards you unless you back up, like, and they'll keep hitting you. And then if you get close, they'll peck your feet, which is so annoying. In a way, they're almost kind of like the hubris killers, because I mean, <laughs> if they fly up into the air and just scratch the ever-loving shit out of you and manage to kill you, it is so embarrassing if you go into a boss fight, beat the ever-loving shit out of it with no mercy, and then immediately get killed by a crow, because you just felt like, you know, I'm a badass, fuck these crows. Like, there's few enemies where I genuinely take sadistic pleasure in killing them, but the crows are always, <laughs> always one. I fucking love smashing my a giant overhand swing of my transformed axe down on their heads. Uh, and then the other one is, I don't know what they're called, but you find, I think you first encounter, they're those, like, creatures that grab you and they'll, like, suck your head. Oh, the mind flayers? Yeah, so you encounter them at Bergenworth. Um, there's a few other places, too. I don't know what it is, because they just run at you, man. If they get you, it's so annoying if you just keep getting caught in those. Okay, I swear, one last quick thing, because I have to hit this. <laughs> we got a few minutes. The music. How could we not talk oh, about the music? Oh, so good. Like, I'm curious what your favorite track is, because mine is just the good old classic Hunter's Dream. Same. Yeah, it's just, it's just the classic, man. It's it's so it's simple. It's great. I have two. Um I have the classic Hunter's Dream um for two reasons. One, it's very relaxing. So I'll actually put that on like one of those 10-hour loops to write to if I'm writing D&D or if I'm writing a very somber part of the campaign that I know they're going to be going to, I'll do that to kind of set the mood. Um but it's also um what my PlayStation will play whenever I'm just sitting on the menu because I have the Hunter's Dream premium theme. So I don't know, it just it relaxes me. But the other one is the one that plays um in the old Hunter's DLC when you fight Ludwig. Because I I, I listened to a YouTube video where a composer broke down the music and how it perfectly matches um the evolution of the boss fight from him being a mindless beast to him gaining his composure. The orchestra will play with that whole thing. If he's in a beast, like you have different high notes, brass woodwinds kind of all doing their own like separate thing, playing different things that harmonize somehow. But when he realizes that his sword has been with him the whole time and this beast is now wielding a sword and is perfectly composed, everything is now playing together and is perfectly harmonized and becomes so much more lethal. I recommend everybody go watch that video because it's super fascinating how it's done. Um, but you'll you'll see it when you get to the old Hunter's DLC. It's an amazing piece. Yeah, I, I'm glad you 
explained it like that because I agree. I think the composition is so considered, and this really carries throughout all the FromSoft games. Because like just listening to the Hunter's Dream, it's a short you know theme, but I just close my eyes and I just kind of imagined what the song was trying to tell me, and it really does tell a story. It's like. For me, the Hunter's Dream is all, it's like, it's Gehrman's song. It's for me, it's like, it's a song about lost love with him and Maria. That's what I feel like is the song is trying to tell me. It's, it's kind of, it's, it starts out like very kind of somber, you know, slow. Mm-hmm. And it's almost got this like high pitched, this, it's, it's like two, almost like two dueling, you know, melodies, but they're still similar and they're trying to harmonize. And like one goes up high and I feel like that's like love, like Maria, he's finding love. And then it kind of just, and then they harmonize, they come together. And then I feel like it just kind of ends like sad, you know, like their relationship does. So yeah, man, this just, ah, this game's so great. I just play Bloodborne, please. If if we haven't convinced you by listening to this, just, there's no hope for you. <laughs> yeah. And you know, a lot of times, you know, you ask somebody like anybody, Hey, what's your favorite game of all time? I mean, I'll put money down that most times people are going to pick a game from their childhood. Like, oh, that's my favorite game of all time. Um, like, a lot of people say Zelda Ocarina of Time, uh, at least for people in my age group, because that was probably the first game that had a lot of story that people have probably beaten. But it's very rare that people pick a recent game and say, that is my favorite game of all time. And for me, there's no hesitation. When somebody asks me, hey, what's your favorite game of all time? I'm going to be like Bloodborne. It's the one game that has come out in the past 15 years that I consistently go back and play every year. And not because it's a call of duty where the multiplayer was a lot of fun. It's just because the game is so beautiful and well done. Yeah. No arguments here, man. It's well deserving of that, uh, favorite game slot. Now let's just hope that we get a bloodborne remake or a Bloodborne 2, or Bloodborne on PC, or literally just anything more of Bloodborne. Uh, I will take anything. Like, if they were telling me they're launching a new line of graphic novels, I'm like, dope, let's do it. Um, Which, that's another thing. Go read the graphic novels, because they also, they stand by themselves. They're really good as well. Okay, yeah, I'll look into that for sure. But, I mean, that's our show, guys. Um, hope you guys like the new format. Uh, before we close everything out, Jacques, is there anything you would like to plug in? Actually, yeah, I would like to just plug my personal Twitch, uh, which I am starting to stream more on that now. And I think I will be going forward. And that is Kip Sock. It's like all one word, Kip Sock. And, uh, I recently played Resident Evil 2. I'll probably be going back to that. Um, yeah, and I'll still be, you know, popping up on the Boundless Gamers Twitch too, whenever we do like co-op or community stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess there's another thing that I'll kind of plug in. Um, there might be some changes coming to the, uh, Twitch channel guys. I know like right, I know right now, um, you guys are probably used to the formula of Mondays we play Smash, Wednesday we do Resident Evil, and then Fridays Ashley's drawing. Um, that's going to kind of pause and shift for right now. Um, because since the podcast is going bi-weekly, which I didn't really explain why we're doing that. So I'll go into that real quick as part of our outro. Um, one of the things that we noticed and we kind of missed and just unfortunate, it was, it was an unfortunate side effect of a small group of people trying to do the podcast every single week is that 
you don't have room to actually play and hang out with each other as much as you would like. So Mike was, you know, doing editing from Monday all the way, sometimes till Thursday morning to get the shows out, depending on how long it went. So we, that left a window where we could only play on Thursday nights, Friday nights and Saturday nights before we were recording again on Sunday. So we have to go by weekly just so we had time to play and have content to bring to you guys. Um, so now bi-weekly that lets us actually play together during the week. We get more time to hang out and talk to each other and bring content to you guys. And also that gives us an opportunity for all of us to stream, um, individually as boundless gamers or do big streams. Like you may see some streams coming in the next month or so where Mike will be streaming on his own channel. Jacques will be streaming on his, I'll be streaming on boundless and Ash may even be streaming on misinfected. And we just do a big streaming party. So it opens up a lot more possibilities for us. Um, the weeks where Mike is not doing any editing, um, we're definitely going to be working out a way to where we're going to be playing more often. Like we're incorporating rocket league, things like that. So be on the lookout for some cool changes. Um, we're going to try and make it to where you guys get to see all of us more often, but not just in a sense to where we're here talking about the news or whatever. It's, we want to get past just the podcast. And as far as the podcast format itself, you guys know as we didn't talk about news. To be perfectly honest, we're fucking tired of the news. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of months where the news, and I've, I've known this for a while, that the news for the most part is all clickbait and it's designed to make you mad or it's all negative. And that didn't become any more apparent from all the sexual harassment stuff. I mean, it's stuff that should be talked about, but you guys have so many other avenues. You don't need a small podcast to tell you about that shit. I mean, we can tell you our thoughts if we want to talk about it. But we're enjoying talking about, like, you know, have a whole section dedicated to Star Wars or tonight talking about Bloodborne. We may have a topic where we want to talk about a state of play or Fallout or whatever strikes our fancy that particular week. So... I hope you guys like this format because that's pretty much what you're going to get going forward. Jacques, is there anything you want to add on to any of that? Yeah, and I just feel like this allows us to go way more in depth on subjects that we love. Yeah. And I feel like with the the, the old way that we did things, it was just way more preparation and it just took up more of our time. And it was just becoming a lot for just such a small group. So... I, I, I'm happy with this new format, and I hope everybody else likes it as well. Guys, that's our show. Um, only plugs I've got for you is just go check out our social medias. Go follow Jacques on Twitch. Um, you can find all of our social medias in the description. It's all at our link tree. Go subscribe to everything, you know, do all the social media stuff, whatever you guys do. On that note, my name is Indy. I'm Jacques. And we will catch you all later. You guys have a great day, afternoon, morning. Be safe.